0: Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The Professional Parts People. Oh,
1: oh, oh, O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
0: You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.
2: I flew all the way to the Keys to catch my first amberjack on my new slow-pitched jigging rod, and the shark bit him in half, and that's not fair.
3: You ain't too fond of Lake St. Clair there because you say they're too easy to catch out of there, but that don't matter. It's still a fun frick to catch.
1: I jammed two swabs up my nose and touched my brain to get up to Canada to ice fish this
2: winter.
4: And I came back at the end of the day, and she had printed out Taylor Swift photos and put them all over my guide shack room.
2: Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that once got pulled over by a Mountie for blasting "Closer to the Heart" too loudly, a little too close to the four-way moose crossing. I'm Joe Sirmelli and I'm Hayden Samak. And do I detect a hint of Oh Canada? <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: Why else? Why else would you bother referencing Rush if you weren't <laughs> going to talk about Canada? You know what I mean? I hate Rush, man. I, I, I hate <laughs> Prague.
1: <laughs> I, I hate Prague in general. I hate yes. Like, if I liked watching assholes do math in front of a bunch of nerds, <laughs> I'd have stayed in college.
2: Oh, come on, man. Say, Getty Lee.
3: Who's Getty Lee? Getty Lee, best bass player ever. Come on. Getty,
2: Getty Lee. Lee. No, truth be told, I'm not really in a rush either. I'm not a big fan, but I am into Canada, right? And we haven't checked in with uh, Canada in a while. Like, we have lots of friends and listeners up there, and um, Mm -hmm. the last time we heard from one was in a Nibbles and Sips, and I was just berated for saying the name of a hockey trophy incorrectly. Like, that's why I got the voice memo. You you couldn't find it within yourself to correctly pronounce Stanley? (laughs) No. No man, it was some obscure trophy. Damn it, it wasn't the Stanley Cup. Um, anyway, have you ever fished in Canada? Uh, you know, I haven't.
1: Uh, but there, like, that's not to say I'm not like interested in it. Uh, sure, there's yeah. a bunch of shit that I'd like to do up there. Like, you know, obviously, like BC salmon and steel, uh, yeah, Atlantics and Nova Scotia. Uh, I would love to do uh, those, like, big old like ten pound brookies in Labrador.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I've I've done the Atlantic, so I scratched that. But the Labrador Brookies, man, I want to do that very badly too. I have not gotten there yet. And I remember, um, I guess it was a couple years ago now, when when Orvis dropped that video of those massive brookies up there hammering my Master Splinterfly, I was like, Well, that's just terrible. Like had it not yeah. been for me, you probably wouldn't <laughs> be catching those, Tom Rosenbauer, and I didn't get invited. So whatever.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, well, what- it's it's kind of like people skating for steelhead. Like mm-hmm. I never get tired of watching like brookies hit huge top water bugs at yeah. like midday. That would be of course not. That would be wild. I mean that's that's truly a bucket list thing. Um, you know, honestly, I just love to like. I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but uh, <laughs> to the surprise of many listeners. I would just love to walleye fish up in Canada, like, you know, mm. one of those smaller lakes just like loaded with like either mm. sized fish,
2: mostly because of the fleas. Hey, man, don't be sorry. That works, too. And I just want to point out to the Bent fans. I hope you were listening because now there is a pro walleye person here every week. Don't you can no that. longer say that both <laughs> Bent hosts dislike walleye. Um, yeah, man, nothing wrong with that at all. And there's, God, there's so much water up there. So much unspoiled water, you know, compared to down here in in a a lot of ways. Um, anyway, if you were headed up to one of those Eater Walleye Lakes, our wonderful sponsors, 13 Fishing could definitely get you more of them to eat faster, especially Mm. on hard water, tis the season. Uh, I might suggest the Micro Magic Man, which is a tiny one inch lipless crank. And even though it's tiny, it's loud as hell. Okay. Rattles them right in like a big buck, man. What do you know about rattling in big bucks? (laughs) Absolutely nothing. Nothing whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Anyway, so uh, why the Canadian theme? Why here? Why now? Okay. Because we've got some big news um, out of Canada to share with you guys, but I'm going to let the man responsible for that big news tell you what's up. So let's fire up a little covering water segment with our old pal and brother from the north, Jay Siemens.
3: I'm going in. Cover me Porkins. I can hold it. Pull up! No I'm. All right. Pull up!
2: Joining us today for covering water, our old pal Jay Siemens, Jay, you've not been here in a while. How the heck are you, man? It's been a minute.
4: It's, it's been good. It's winter now. It's, all I see is white looking out my office, and uh, <laughs> it, it went from open water season to ice fishing season in a hurry.
2: Yeah, it's still open water here, and I'm, I'm still very okay with that, but um, yeah, a little further north than we are. So I teed up that you are here for a very specific reason today. You have an announcement to make. I wanted us to make it together. Something is happening today on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. What is that?
4: We got uh, we got a new series dropping called the Canadian Angle, something I've yes. been chipping away at over the summer. And uh, it's gonna be a fishing series I'm hosting on the Mediator YouTube channel, and um kind of the play on words on the Canadian angle is me being uh, a videographer, but then also the angling side and being a Canadian. So
2: I love it, man. It's very smart. It's like PetsMart. Is it Pets Smart <laughs> or Pet Smart? Like we don't there you go. actually know. Um, but yeah, man, so I've been really excited about this. I'm really pumped that you are officially doing your own series now with meat eater. Um, episode one today, what are we looking at for episode one?
4: Uh, episode one, um, doing something unique. We went from, uh, kind of the food chain in the springtime, you know, normally you go to the tackle store, you buy your leeches and you go walleye fishing, right? But now I wanted to take it back a couple steps. So we started off by going to the creeks in the spring as they're thawing and the suckers start running up the creeks. I know you just recently did a sucker video. Yes. So we started by netting some suckers and then from that, chunked them up. I learned the art of uh, leeching, so trapping leeches, which is something I'd never done before. So I, I have a buddy in, in town here that is a commercial leech trapper. So he brought me along. We used those suckers we caught, went and uh, set traps for leeches, came back the next day. There was leeches in our traps and then I finished it off by going walleye fishing uh, on Lake of the Woods. So it's, it's pretty cool showing how much work goes into getting the leeches and then it's kind of the full, full cycle of things.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, that's a new one for me. I've never really given much thought to how the leeches end up in the tackle shop. I don't know anything about that.
4: I, I understand why, why you can pay so much of them. I understand why they're
2: 60 bucks a pound. It's like, yeah. right. Cause you've seen how much work goes into doing that now. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, dude, I'm I'm very excited for it. We've uh, we've had you on. We've done tackle hacks with you. We've done, I think, multiple smooth moves with you. The one where you sunk your boat that was oh, yeah. a classic. <laughs> but uh, we have not had you here yet for covering water. Um, this is a little bit different than what we've done in the past. Hayden, what t- tell Jay what what covering water is all about? All right, so here's how covering water works. Uh, we're gonna put two minutes on the clock
1: and rapid fire some questions at you, and basically. Intentionally give you no time to answer. Uh, you can't think. You just got to react. And at the end, we'll give you one full minute to expand on any answer that you like. We, we, whichever answer, you know, was the biggest mistake, you, you can try and explain it away or completely retract it if you like. All
2: right. Yeah, you can just make it go away. So, And I also, I should point out that, like, the last few Covering Waters... I put two minutes on the clock, but I don't know why because we we always go over two minutes just because <laughs> we're having such a good time. But the, the, I think the whole point here is to sort of, um, you know, fire some things out there that will show us the the fishing and the non fishing side of Jay Siemens, which is good now because we want people to love you on the Canadian angle even more. So I'm I'm ready. If you're feeling good, we will uh, we will begin. So Hit I'm going to put two minutes on the clock here, and uh, Hayden, I'm going to start. And let's go now. Is modern technology making ice fishing too easy? No. What is the weirdest non-target
1: species you've ever caught?
2: Oh, an eel. Ah, okay. Do trolled muskies count? Yes, absolutely. Oh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When is the last time you threw a daredevil?
2: Oh, man,
4: probably 17 years.
2: Yeah, but I bet you throw a lot of five of diamonds, right?
4: Once in a while, once in a while.
2: Right, there you go. Okay. Finish this sentence. The band rush is. Uh, before my time.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. Finish this sentence. I have no desire to fish for.
4: Oh. Um, microfish for minnows. Uh, There you go. a thing, people. Oh, I know.
2: Books have been written about it. Volumes. I'm like, come on. All right. Okay. In your free time, would you rather catch one trophy walleye or a whole mess of yellow perch?
4: One trophy
1: walleye. Without a doubt. Oh, there you go. It's 2025. Your (laughs) career has taken a major turn and you have become the biggest Canadian rapper since Drake. (laughs) Much like Action Bronson raps about food, you rap about fishing.
2: What is your rap name?
4: my rap name uh king cod
2: <laughs> <laughs> i i did not know that question was coming by the way uh anyway uh what's what's so good about tim hortons anyway
4: they're always open for fishermen <laughs> open around the clock
1: name
2: an underrated fish for the frying pan
4: um freshwater drum
2: oh good one good one good one okay uh the number one species still on your bucket list is
4: uh gt jantra valley Ah, me too, man.
2: Mullet or bowl cut?
4: What was the second one? Bowl cut. (laughs) Oh, bowl cut. Uh, I like the mullet for sure.
2: There you go. Who's the greatest musky angler of all time?
4: Uh, Mike Lazarus.
2: Ah, okay. Have you ever gone all
1: in on a piece of gear or technique only to have it prove to be a fad? And if so, what was it?
4: Oh, man. That's i feel like here. that's half the musky baits i own <laughs>
2: <laughs> right on all right see if you remember this one what was the last cd you purchased not music you downloaded physical cd you purchased oh man
4: probably taylor swift
2: uh-huh okay all right all right One. Well, we got time for one more hayden hit him with one more
1: what is the most overrated lure in your opinion
4: overrated lure and oh man That is a fantastic question. I think I think it's the Five of Diamonds. <laughs> oh really? Oh no way. <laughs> all that's right, a that's controversial that's one because That's time. That's... That
2: is a controversial one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So that's the most overrated lore of all time. Well, dude, I that was I
4: about it because I just posted a picture on Instagram of my biggest pike ever on a Five of Diamonds, but in the same <laughs> Yeah, it's it that's a that's a big one.
2: Oh, I got to say having spent enough time in Canada at pike lodges, it's like your average owner I feel like in a lot of these places it's just like five of diamonds, five of diamonds, yeah. five of diamonds. It's like all they throw. And I'm like, this is a good spoon, but there's a lot more out there than the five of diamonds, yeah.
1: right? All right, all right. So so Joe kind of forced you into extrapolation on on that
2: answer. Now you got one minute to choose one. Yeah, man. So anyone you want, we'll give you we'll give you a minute to uh to expand on any one of those answers.
4: Oh man. Let me think about which one was.
2: Given, given our audience, I might suggest the Taylor Swift one, but that's probably not the one that you want to do. No, I can talk
4: about Taylor no, Swift. No, I'm I, kidding,
2: I, man, whichever one you want.
4: <laughs> there was a, fit when I guided, I was 16 years old guiding at the first lodge, the lodge that I sunk that boat at, and I mentioned to one of the girls in camp that I was a Taylor Swift fan, and I came back at the end of the day, and she had printed out Taylor Swift photos and put them all over my guide shack room. <laughs> <laughs> so I never really lived that one down.
2: Yeah, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but in fairness, I'll, I'll give you one more. Any 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 other ones you want to oh, tell us more about? The, the ice fishing. Is
4: ice fishing getting too easy? Yeah,
2: I think, I think that's it's, a good one. I think it's
4: growing the sport more than anything. I think, right. you know, now shacks from going to non-thermal, now they're thermal shacks. So you don't need uh, as big of a heater. You don't need, like, as much propane. So it makes it easier to get out in the cold days. Electronics is getting better, which uh you know it it keeps people more engaged if you can have a kid staring at an underwater camera i think that's better than them staring at their phone in the shack right sure so all those things is making ice fishing so accessible and, and that's the big thing with ice fishing is you don't need an eighty thousand dollar boat forty thousand dollar boat to get into it absolutely you bring an axe and you get a even if you get a three hundred dollar shack and a heater you can fish in any conditions on any size lake and uh i mean obviously you can add to that and get a snowmobile and all those other toys but yeah, it's it's becoming more accessible than ever. And that's why the sport's growing so fast.
2: So. And I, I think that's a great answer, man. And that's a side of it that I think people overlook that, you know, everybody loves to gripe about, well, it's like playing a video game now. It's just too easy. You don't have to put the work in. But you're right. Like we need people to keep fishing going forward in the future. And if that is what's going to engage people to get out there and enjoy that more, that's that's one reason why it is definitely not a bad thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so what are we gonna see? What kind of technology are you busting out on the Canadian angle round one? round one little little side scan man there's a little bit of
4: there's a little bit of live scope but uh it's a little bit it's a little little bit lighter on technology i think i think season two i shouldn't even be talking about season two no
2: no we're breaking the rules we can't talk i know a little bit about season two we can't talk about that yet okay we can't talk about season two (laughs) we'll just get through season i just
4: want to say season one ends with one of my favorite fish of the season so you got it you got to watch through right till the end but uh yeah, I'm. I'm excited for the ending fish for season one,
2: dude. They will keep watching. I will keep reminding them. This was a lot of fun, man. I'm so pumped to have the Canadian angle launching today. Um, I know that's running for uh, at least four weeks. Four weeks, you Five, got it, yeah. yeah, four weeks. Um, but dude, this has been a blast. And maybe, maybe down the road, uh, you know, I'd love to have you in a B side. Maybe I'll be in a Canadian angle. We'll see. I but, put um, you on the ice. I know everybody wants to put me on the ice. I know. I'll get there. I promise. <laughs> So, again, the Canadian Angle drops today. Uh, you definitely need to check that out. Maybe I'll even be in one with Jay down the road. Who knows, Ooh. right? Um, but, man, he is – Jay is just a terrific angler, and I'm I'm so excited that he's doing some official work with the meat eater.
1: Yeah. He's also just, like, a really, really nice fella. Uh, mm-hmm. like,
2: like, the that guy that your grandma would meet, <laughs> and would afterwards be
1: oh your your friend is such a nice young man
2: yeah yeah, yeah oh totally well he is man we've said on this show that that Canadians are just generally nicer people than us and I'm gonna I'm about to further that notion can we do a, if you don't mind can we do a quick voice memo I don't think yeah. we need to make this an entire nibbles and Sips segment but I want to play it only well I mean this caller's from Canada right obviously of course All he right, is yes it. yes yes yeah so this comes from north of the border and it was sent to me by at Nurfolk boys so i'm thinking that's north fork Nurfork. Mm-hmm. i love that um and and he says his name is cletus which may or may not be an alias but he's very nice so let's listen real quick
3: oh hey there bud this is uh cletus up from Nerfurk county in canada there I got carp story two for you. It starts out muskie fishing on Lake St. Clair there, and I know that uh, you ain't too fond of old Lake St. Clair there because you say they're too easy to catch out of there, but that don't matter. It's still fun as prick to catch. So we was out in the fall fishing them in the the river mouth there, bud. And uh, I, I'm throwing these big rubber dogs. They uh, hook into a monster. That's what I think at least, eh? And, uh... We're fighting him for like 10, 15 minutes. All the boats around us are like, oh, my goodness, this is a 50-incher. So we get her up boatside, and I uh, think she's a 50-incher, but guess what? She ain't. She a big old carp. She's the biggest carp I ever did see, a big old rubber lips. bigger than, Big enough to make any old European carp fisherman blush, bud. So, uh, yeah, big old carp. Lake St. Clair, didn't catch any musky, and uh, that's my nibbles and sips for you. I will see if she gets on there, bud. So uh, you just have a great old day there, all right? No. Oh, yeah, thank you, bud. Well,
1: uh is from the great northern, uh, the great north woods, is that what you'd say?
2: Well, yeah, but he's not that far north. If he's fishing St. Clair, he's got to be right outside Detroit, so he's yeah, not well, like, you know, on the
1: anyhow, tundra. Anyhow... <laughs> <laughs> It reminds me of uh, me and my buddy David. uh, We used to have this gag whenever we'd go ice fishing. We'd go by the aliases ourselves of uh, Cletus and Jebediah. And every time an ice. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, every time a tip up would go off. What was man, There, please go get it. Go get it out on that table right now. We
2: uh, I bet that sp- didn't get annoying happening all day long, all day. Well, I'll I'll will tell you what, man. You drink enough beer, man,
1: it just gets yeah. funnier and funnier. Uh, I I love how he takes a very backhanded shot at you for saying that you don't uh, like the Saint Clair.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. Uh, we, uh, which is it's not true. Okay. I have suggested in the past that St. Clair has a reputation for being the easiest place to catch muskies, but I didn't give it that reputation, damn it. Like, I didn't make that up. That's a mm-hmm. that's a known thing in muskie circles, especially uh, if you're trolling, which a lot of people do there. Like, the guy right. who's never spent hours breaking his wrist throwing a double cowgirl gets his 50 there, and he's like, got it. And I'm like, no, you didn't. You got it, but you didn't earn it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, musky fishing is
1: interesting to me, but like as much as I am uh I, I guess you'd say
2: fly fishing inclined, I'd mm-hmm. much rather uh do muskies conventional. Oh yeah, you're you're a very smart man. You're smarter for that. Um totally. I I Lord knows I've learned that fly fishing for muskies. Anyway, I gotta say, I got such a kick out of this voice memo there, bud, because uh <laughs> this has happened to me. I am not a musky zealot. I chase them time to time, and there's a lake not far from me at all that is classified as a trophy musky lake. Mm-hmm. I've fished it probably a dozen times over the years. Never seen a musky, never moved a musky, but the last time I was out there, I got thumped, and this fish was not small. And my, I'm full on, like my buddy lunges for the net. Uh, game on. This is it, finally. 25 pound carp with the glide bait in its back.
1: Nice. That was it.
2: That was the last time I ever fished that lake looking for a muskie. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I I can definitely see how that would be a uh, a little bit of a kick in the ass. Um,
2: mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm.
1: that my like sort of running joke out here is like, is it the fish of the day or is it another ass hooked whitefish? You know what <laughs> I mean?
2: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes. Speaking of a uh, of a little kick in the ass, I'm about to deliver another one. When I beat you in the weekly competition, we like to call Fish News.
2: Fish News!
0: That escalated quickly.
2: So, not really much housekeeping this week. Um, the only thing I got, I, I, was, I was called out on a mispronunciation, and I'd like to rectify that, if I may. Uh, in, our le- in our last, That's My Bar, we covered uh, Eagle Valley Resort. In what I said was Posh, Nevada, and that was supposed to be pronounced Pioche, Pioche, Pioche? I still don't really know how to pronounce it. (laughs) Pioche, Pioche, Pioche. That's what it is, (laughs) Pioche.
1: Interestingly, if you talk to Remy Warren, he will probably also reprimand you for saying Nevada. If you are from that area, Nevada.
2: Nevada. Yeah. You know, now that you mentioned it, the same guy hit me on that too. And I was like, I don't care that yeah. much about well, that. Well, Joe, I- as a dude who
1: regularly fails to pronounce <laughs> shit that he reads, I feel your pain and I'm a, I'm here for you, man.
2: Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's going to happen. But, but I feel like I have to say what happened. So Pioche is spelled P-I-O-C-H-E. And listener Ben Parks, who sent the submission, even spelled it out phonetically for my dumb ass. But he wrote sh <laughs> with like 25 H's. So looking at it again, now I see that he, he meant it to be sh. But like in a moment of haste, because I'm always juggling 400 things, I took it at face value and just read it as posh, as in posh spice, you know, who is inferior to ginger spice. So sorry, Nevada, Nevada. I apologize.
1: I, I I could see how you would make that mistake. I was going to rip on you, but that makes sense.
2: <laughs> there you go. Uh, so that's it. That's housekeeping this week. Let's get on with it. Uh, remember, Fish News is a competition. At the end of this, our apparently non-stovetop-loving Ooh. audio engineer, Phil, will declare a winner. He called us uh, assholes. M- <laughs> I know. I know. Or maybe not, right? Last week, I, I think we irked Phil. I think we rattled Phil's cage. He did call us assholes and then declared uh, Lake Trout the winner of Fish News. So, Phil, we're sorry. Uh, I won't even ask about rice aroni or Pizza Flavored Hamburger Helper or Lipton Microwave Noodles because now we know that's not what you're about. Okay? Fair. Uh, but Hayden, what are you about? It is your lead off this week, man. What do you got? All right. So, Joe, this week in Fish News, we're going back to Australia. Hey! Come from Little minute work right there, Phil. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> so today we're going to
1: talk about the Great Barrier Reef, and this is going to surprise a lot of people. We're not going to talk about how totally it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's refreshing.
1: <laughs> I mean, we are, but only to contextualize some like good news. So to that end, here's a little ray of hope for one of the great wonders of the natural world. Uh, this comes to us from the Washington Post. This week, scientists observed a massive coral spawn on the Great Barrier Reef. That's it. Uh, That's not really much. There's not really like a bunch to the story. It's just kind of something that happened. It's a fact. So you may be asking, why bring this up? This is a weak ass story, Hayden. Were you rushed and had a bunch of other shit on your plate? First of all, yes, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) Secondly, uh, this story does have some legitimate meat on the bone, uh, but we have to look beyond the actual event and talk more about the implications of this event. Um, Everybody knows the coral reefs are in trouble. How much trouble, do you ask? A study conducted by the Global Coral Reef Monitoring Network, published in October of this year, concluded that between 2009 and 2018, Climate change has killed 14% of the world's coral reefs.
2: Yeah. It's a big deal, and it's everywhere. It's all, it, it, it affects like all coral reefs everywhere.
1: Yeah. For a lot of folks, we hear warm and equate it with bad. And that's where our understanding of the issue between coral and climate change ends. Uh, because information is power, I want to offer you an explanation of what actually goes down and exactly why the warming is bad, even for
2: these tropical reefs. Uh <laughs> I just what because information because information is power. That's like a PS that's like a G.I. Joe PSA for Bent.
3: GI Joe.
2: Hey, whatever, Joe. Uh when we
1: <laughs> when we think of coral, we typically think of shades of like pink, orange, blue, green, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, that uh coloration is largely due to the algae that covers the coral itself. Coral has a symbiotic relationship with algae. Uh, The coral provides it with a home, and in turn, the algae feeds it. When coral becomes stressed due to outside pressures, including but not limited to a warming environment, the coral expels that algae. This is called coral bleaching. Basically, Mm. as a result of the vacated algae, the coral turns white. Uh, unfortunately, this lack of algae now not only means the coral is as white as Joe's summertime farmer's <laughs> pan, it also <laughs> means that the coral now has nothing to eat, which causes it to starve and die.
2: Yeah, so that, those are like the images that they they try and tug at the heartstrings with, where it just looks like a wasteland of like dried bones where a coral reef used to yeah.
1: be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's serious, and lately it's been occurring at a scale much larger. Than has ever been seen before, including mass bleachings. In fact, in 1998, the first mass bleaching event ever observed killed 8% of the world's coral reefs
2: in a single year. Hmm. I think the second mass bleaching event that year was my hair, but that's a different.
1: (laughs) We won't. (laughs) Now for some good news it has been observed that coral reefs can indeed recover from a bleaching event. In smaller bleaching events, when the root cause has been controlled and conservation practices implemented, there has been a significant recovery within those coral reefs. Here's the good news. This is what they're hoping can happen here. And the fact that the coral is still spawning points to reproductive potential even under pressure. So really, this story highlights one big important point. We can do something about a problem even when it's gotten you know, cross the line into a dire situation. Yeah. Things are never really too far gone to at least recover a meaningful portion of. And just because the situation is dire doesn't mean that it has to end in certain doom.
2: Yeah, man. I mean, we've, we've covered stories here before about like, uh, there's other organizations that are trying to move and replant Carl. Uh, but I, I, you're making a good point here and you can apply this to a lot of different conservation stories. Um, we often feel the need to be like, well, it's it's all screwed, and it's never yeah. coming back. Yeah, um, but it's the wrong attitude, and you sort of have to start somewhere and and sort of find the good in all of these problems. yeah, um so I mean, too, that's that's good, good news for the entire environment, plus all the fish. If all those dead zones that that you see, all those bleaching um, you know, videos, it's just it's horrible. Um, If that has the potential to come back, then uh, that's good for everybody, even if it is on a small portion.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and we could really look to other conservation success stories to give us hope here. You know, one that comes to mind is, you know, the wild turkey population in the early 20th century. I mean, there were like something like 30,000 wild turkeys left in America. And now, I mean, right. if, if you have eyes,
2: you see turkeys. Yeah. I mean, I see turkeys and i'm not even looking for him i almost hit turkeys <laughs> with my with my car
1: and, and when when it comes to like the water specifically i mean we're doing all sorts of interesting things um there there's been a legitimate recovery of coral reefs in the time of covid when tourism has slowed down like that's yep. like a big part of like the problem yep. um you also see art the success of artificial mm-hmm. reefs so there is a lot of potential for good and you know don't listen to a news story that's just totally you know forecasting doom and gloom and irreversible forever forever damage and just resign yourself to it you know there is always something that can be done in the name of conservation to either protect what we have or hopefully as is the case with this you know eventually restore it to its uh to its original luster
2: yeah man no this is great i i the only thing i think is funny is it's sort of it's like all news these days it's also just depends on who you talk to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's kind of yeah. like, um, yeah, I hate to say it's kind of like with COVID. Like, you read the headlines one day, it's like, we're fine. And the next day, yeah. like, in the, same, Omicron. in the same paper, it's like, <laughs> we're all done. Omicron. Yeah, yeah whatever.
0: to the crickets. so head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list
2: Good news is always more uplifting, um, and I guess there are some people who would say that um, there's some success in the recovery of sharks. Sharks have a lot of problems, and that's gonna that's uh-huh. gonna tie into my story here. But I just I don't I want to start this by saying very quickly, and I'm surprised in your haste you went coral reef versus grabbing this because yes, we know uh, that a new state record muskie has been caught in Minnesota, which is kind of a big deal seeing that the state record has stood for 64 years. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. I'd like to congratulate angler Nolan Sprangler on that catch, which weighed 55 pounds, 14.8 ounces. But if I'm being totally honest, the story surrounding it isn't all that compelling to me, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, like he went musky fishing on Lake Malax, a 55-plus pounder happened to eat his lure. That's kind of the gist, right? It's awesome, but, but instead... I chose a uh, complete sleeper of a story buried in the newsfeed, mostly because it allows me to make fun of people. And I think we'll have a better conversation. (laughs) So um, here we go. This comes from the website, eurekaalert.com. headline jaws of defeat anglers emotions. (laughs) I love a good pun. Yeah, I know. I know we we all know Uh, jaws of defeat anglers emotions towards shark depredation is key to conservation. Now, By depredation, what they're talking about, what this entire story is centered around, is a shark attacking a fish that you are reeling in. I just want to be clear on that. So here's the lead directly from the story. In a broad-scale study recently published in Fisheries Research, researchers from the University of Massachusetts Amherst quantified the emotional and behavioral responses to shark depredation in recreational fisheries. Are are, are you
1: saying that people don't like it when sharks,
2: like, munch their 40-pound yellowfin? Let's not get ahead of ourselves (laughs) here, but that's kind of what I'm saying. The study found that anglers and especially recreational fishing guides
3: Imagine. who experienced
2: depredation were more likely to have a negative response toward sharks, and were thus more likely to target sharks for additional harvesting. I right? don't say so well, but yeah, it's 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 debatable, right? We'll we'll get there. So the article suggests that um, depredation is an ever increasing problem for two reasons. One. Um, is that longstanding shark conservation efforts are allowing shark populations in certain regions to bounce back, so there are more sharks. The second is that the number of recreational saltwater anglers is growing year over year, so uh, more struggling fish on lines for sharks to eat. I would agree with both of those things. Absolutely no argument there. Um, I've heard from several buddies uh, in Florida in particular that it, it, it does seem like there are more sharks than ever, and we do know it's getting more crowded on the water. So, did
1: you did you happen to see that video of the zombie shark?
2: No. What's the zombie shark?
1: I I half almost picked it up. Uh, it's just a video somebody took. They they were reeling and it looked like a reef shark, and it got attacked by I think a bull shark. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like half this thing's body is missing. and It's still swimming around, like trying to a get off the line, but also trying to snag like other fish in the chum slick. <laughs>
2: I don't disbelieve that, man. Yeah. I, they, they don't have large brains, and sometimes it takes a while for them to fade in moments of trauma. <laughs> 20 uh, minutes, actually. So, 20, 20, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Grace Castleberry, lead author of the study, believes that this rampant depredation is, quote, helping to drive the perception that sharks are a threat, which in turn could lead to retaliatory actions that could lead to over-harvesting of sharks. So for this study... Castleberry and her team sent a survey to loads of recreational saltwater anglers and guides across North America. 541 of them responded. Survey questions included which kinds of fish were most often depredated. And uh, in a nutshell, how did you feel when the mean shark took the yellowtail snapper (laughs) off your line? Not good. (laughs) So... According to the findings, over 77% of respondents noted that they had had a fish taken by a shark at least once in the last five years. Of that group, well over half had seen more than 20 depredation events in the same time period, and 72% had actually seen the shark take their catch. Furthermore, the study found that while the anglers were more likely than guides to feel a sense of awe or even excitement when witnessing shark depredation, guides who tend to experience depredation more frequently were far more likely to feel anger, distress, and sadness. Perhaps even more importantly, the surveyed guides were overwhelmingly more likely to respond to depredation by harvesting sharks in the hopes of reducing their numbers and so protecting the fish stocks they target. Now, obviously, I have no idea who these surveyed guides were or uh, where they fish, though I'd bet most of them are Southern. But something about those... Yeah, yeah, but something about those reactions doesn't add up to me right in my opinion it would be more likely to be the other way around and i've witnessed it the other way around countless times if we're saying part of the problem is that there are so many new anglers on the water i would think it's the newbie that gets his or her first tarpon or grouper or king mac chomped off the line that would be more sad and i've seen that happen i just years ago on a bonefish trip um it was tough like tough fishing bad weather and I was with a dude that had never done this before, and he hooked one monster fish on the last day, shark took it, and he was devastated. Now, conversely, every time I've been out in the Gulf or Florida with a seasoned captain, it's been around, and someone gets sharked, they don't freak out about it. You know why? Because getting, it's just it's just part of the game. Getting yeah. sharked is just part of the game. There's a name for it in saltwater fishing. It's called paying the tax man. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to pay the tax man, that's just how it goes. And while it's a bummer, I don't know. Like, you don't get all whiny about it. It's just part of the gig, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I'd be inclined to think that, like, a lot of these folks who were getting, who are surveyed and getting excited about seeing, like, the depredation event, uh, I I I would think that maybe a lot of them were, like, charter casuals, you know, like, just well, both yeah, fish they don't, on yeah, vacation. They just don't
2: Yeah. They take a video and they're like, oh, I'm going to send it to all my friends, you know. I, I, I kind of think the same thing. Um, I'm, I'm more surprised, you know, cause I don't fully understand these captains responding that getting sharked will make them kill more sharks. Now it's one thing to say it will, like I've heard captains say, oh man, I'd love to kill every one of these bastard yeah. sharks on this reef, but I, I've never known one or met one that like on a day off makes the effort to go out to the grouper grounds and harvest as many sharks as legally possible. Yeah. In an effort to reduce their numbers. I'm not saying that never happens. Um, and I'm not saying there aren't people out there who, who do illegal cowboy shit. But I, I find the notion slightly silly because it's, you know, it's it's the ocean. Like, these fish yeah. roam. So you, you kill some, they will replenish. Um, in cases where, uh, like, every other fish is getting sharked, I've seen captains move to try and get away from them. But I can't help but interpret the whole study as, as sort of cloaked in, like, new school whininess. Like, I yeah. flew all the way to the Keys to catch my first amberjack on my new slow-pitched jigging rod, and the shark bit him in half, and that's not fair. You know, the shark yeah. shouldn't be allowed to do that. Like, that's how I'm interpreting a lot of people who responded to this. Um, I don't know. I think it's a, a bit of a fruitless study, in my opinion. You're worried about over-harvesting sharks. Like... You know, there's there's tens of thousands that are illegally finned at sea and dumped by commercial operations the world over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recreational anglers that might be butthurt about having dinner taken <laughs> off the line. Like, come on. So I, I I just I just found this strange and interesting.
1: Yeah, it seems like a like a weird. It's just a weird demographic to survey about this. To your point, I've never seen somebody who's been like that. Shark took my like, you know, my yellow fin. I'm gonna go get that shark. My dad does a. He lives down in Turks and right. he does Turks, a,
2: Caicos, yeah,
1: yeah. He does a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of uh, pelagic fishing, and he has sharks rip tuna from him all the damn time, constantly. Yeah. And in fact, they're talking about how they haven't seen. That many sharks ever, I would venture to say, like most of the really big tuna that like he's having, not like you know he's like having like an extended fight with, end up getting bitten in half by a shark.
2: Yeah, and, and I'm I'm not suggesting that there's no merit to this happening more often, right? I, like I said, I've heard that from from several people. Yeah. I just don't understand like what the what the, the there's there's nothing in the article about like well what's the end result here? Okay, so we find out that most people. Hate sharks when they take their fish off the line, but how that translated into, into some kind of, of of action, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's more sharks, so it's going to happen more. Like, you want to you want to play the game? You got to pay the tax man now and again. Maybe you got to pay him more than you used to. But like, what what do we do about that? It's uh, you know,
1: I understand, man, and I can understand like the sentiment too. Like, you know, if I shoot like a deer or something and it gets eaten up by coyotes. Yeah. Um, I I'm I'm gonna spend a little bit of time predator hunting, but I feel like that's a lot different than being like they took my wahoo, I'm gonna become a shark fisherman, a la like Captain Quinn, you know.
2: Yeah, and I mean you know, even if you had some guys that were so upset that they had that mentality of I'm gonna go out to a reef and like whack a bunch of sharks, I don't know, man. The the captains I know who live in extremely sharky territory, uh you know, Florida and the Carolinas and the Gulf. Most of them don't want anything to do with sharks unless they have clients that specifically ask to be taken out to catch sharks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I, I have no idea what the limits are. It's it's very – that's the other thing too. It's all over the place with what you can and cannot keep. You know what sure. I mean? Like like to use black tips as an example. I'm pretty sure there's a season or maybe year-round, Like I, but I, I think it's one per boat. Yeah. I and mean, that's legally all you could take in Florida, and Florida people, if I'm wrong, but I'm just trying to make a point here that in mo- there's not many instances where you can legally just go out and, and, and be like, I am I will kill as many as I hook today to get them off this reef. That's kind of impractical, you know? You eat shark ever? I do. I mean, it's been a long time, um, and Lord knows that, that things have changed in that arena, and I'm not even saying that's a bad thing, but I – did a lot of Mako fishing back in the day and, mm-hmm. and Thresher. And um, you can hate me for that. You know, I don't really do it much anymore, and the rules have changed. But I'm also not gonna sit here and say that Mako and Thresher Shark aren't like mouthwateringly friggin' delicious, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd pit I'd pit either of those against swordfish. Any day, I mean, it's good. It was common for years growing up. All the seafood sure. restaurants of the Jersey Shore, you could get a mako steak like that was that was nothing, you know. I I, I remember
1: uh, I remember going into a market when I was a kid and seeing like a mako shark, you know, mako shark steaks behind the counter and being like, I gotta go eat that, man, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it really it, it is fantastic, but at the same time, I. You, you have to recognize with mako's in particular there's something else in the news about trying to get the entire world to agree not to target them commercially anymore mm-hmm. um people do not catch them here the way they did when i was growing up and even before that it was like you know it was in, in the 60s and 70s it was like all the mako's you wanted it was good when i was younger lately you know it's it's not that easy to go out there and do that anymore so um yeah certainly um, not um, certainly unless not you're saying, like
1: a Unless you're like a, a charter fishing, like ex frat boy, not, you know, letting his fly hang over and catching 700 pounders.
2: Yeah. I, you know, it, it's hard for me to come down. I mean, smooth
1: move reference.
2: I know. I know that, but <laughs> 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 like, I, I, I'm not going to lie, man. If somebody invited me out on a Mako trip and we caught a keeper, I, I do that so infrequently You know, I'm not a charter captain that's out there shark fishing week over week in season. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how terrible I would feel about keeping a legal one because I'm not going to do that 10 times a year. You know, it's probably been. I don't think you should feel bad about that. If I see a thresher in the bunker when I'm striper fishing, like, I'm not opposed to trying to catch that. It's all delicious. Anyway, um that's what I got. So, people, stop being sad about the sharks or just I don't maybe try not saltwater fishing in Florida because it's going to happen eventually uh Phil, coral reefs or sharks? Which one takes your fancy? Coral. This coral instantly. <laughs> I also believe Phil looks good in the color coral, you know what I mean? I think um, Phil looks good no matter what he wears. <laughs> Let me win So Phil. we will we will hear from Phil and then um Man, we're going to crank the metal and rock the mullet for uh, pretty good awkward moments in (laughs) A.
0: Joe and Sharks. Sharks and Joe.
4: It's a tale as old as time, and it still never gets old. Joe, you're the winner this week. Hayden, maybe you shouldn't have rushed and put some more time into your story. But listen, man, I'm sorry. I had to choose because...
3: If you choose not to decide...
4: I don't want you to feel embarrassed. But if you do, you could always
3: night
4: away from here. And Hayden, I'll let you go with just a little bit of advice that my grandfather told me. The night before he died, he sat me down next to his bedside, told me to lean in closer, and whispered in my ear, "Phil? <sighs> Miss him so much.
3: Why don't you take a picture of the life like ah, 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 ah.
2: we got called out recently? Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. On Instagram. Listener at Huntfish Sleep247 suggested that lately we have not been adequately roasting our awkward moments victims. Like we haven't been harsh enough or something.
1: Hunt Sleep Fish 24-7 looks like a real estate agent for vampires. Boom. Roasted.
2: <laughs> Hunt Sleep Fish. I didn't know that was coming. Uh, anyway, I'm going to disagree with, with him slightly because in fairness, not long ago, I told a poor young fly angler his favorite fishing shirt looked like the wallpaper from a circa 1972 porno set. But okay, man. Okay, we'll we'll try we'll we'll try and dial it up a bit. And this week we have uh it's a, it's an inadvertent twofer. Okay, so listener Mike Baldwin sent a photo, and I said, "Yep, yes, I will take that." And then he immediately sent another one. He followed up, and I was like, "And I'll be taking that one too." Thanks. <laughs> so we got a double feature here from Mike. So let's start with the first shot. We'll get right Mm -hmm. into it here. Now, this was taken in 1992, vintage, right? Now, Mike is holding a bowfin down at waist level, and that's big brownie points right there, right? Uh, Because he may have been the only guy taking photos with bowfin in 1992 because that hadn't gotten cool yet, right? It's cool now with the frogs and stuff, but not back then. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. um, Two things. I can't believe that photo is from 1992. And also... (laughs) I was going to guess eighty-seven. Uh, it also <laughs> appears that that bowfin, which is a, it looks like a pretty respectable bowfin. It's good fish. I it's yeah. yeah,
2: it's not small. No, it's good fish.
1: Uh, it appears that that uh, bowfin is on a stringer, which makes me wonder if Mike ate the bowfin because mm. eating bowfin isn't something. I don't think you see super often.
2: No, no, they're like they're not that popular of a food fish, and you're right. Uh, there does appear to be an old-school, like, nylon rope stringer in its mouth. I'm not sure if he ate it. Um what I am sure of is that nobody else has ever gone bowfin fishing in the super tight, screaming red, nut-hugger pants that Mike <laughs> is wearing in photo number one. Now, th- now look, this photo is cut off. It's cut off mid-thigh on Mike. So they could be sweats. They could be, could be shorts. Could be cut right? Yeah. Yeah. But at first glance, like when you just look at it, it's like shit, where have I seen those pants before? Oh yeah. In the beat it video.
1: <laughs> this is like this kind of reminds me of like a like an Uncle Ted, like Ted Nugent outfit.
2: Yes. Uh, yes. Or maybe Very not the much shirt, so.
1: but like definitely like the pants.
2: Yeah, yeah, so the shirt. So Mike is wearing a faded early 90s style, like what I'd call like a bum equipment style sweatshirt. Yeah. Now, those, of course, they've they've become fashionable once again, but this one appears to have been purchased in the Chicago Theater District. It just says Chicago, mm-hmm. and there's a, a clip art style graphic of a saxophone and the laughing and crying masks that are like the universal symbol for theater they probably have a real name or something but i don't i don't know what that is yeah
1: I've, i honestly have no idea either but can, forget all that can we please get to <laughs> you know what i want to talk about man
2: yeah you want to talk about the hair I yes, want to talk can, about the man hair. Let's, let's talk about
1: the hair do it uh so mike is uh i'll tell you what man it is a hell a hell of a blonde mullet
2: <laughs> it's special i um it's special
1: it's parted straight down the middle. It's flowing shoulder locks for days. Now, yep. m- like, he seems to be a pretty tall guy. I would guess this dude is, you know, but the mullet actually makes him significantly <laughs> taller. Uh, yes. While I'm sure it's just the way that his hair might have fallen that day, the best way I could describe it to, you know, someone who hasn't gone to Joe's Instagram and seen this picture <laughs> Um <laughs> It's imagine a bald man with flowing locks, and I'm going to, we'll get to this in the roast too, but flowing locks around the sides. And then he just plopped a toupee just right on the top of his head (laughs) and didn't press it down. He just, he threw it up in the air and caught it, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) See, I think, I think it's just like moost. Yeah. Or quaffed or permed, maybe, but it, it looks, it, yeah, it looks very strange. So here's what we're gonna do to spice up awkward moments. Hayden just mentioned a roast, right? Now Hayden has examined the photo and come up with a series of actual roast-style shots based on it, and I don't know what they are, right? So we're gonna say, let's see how many land. Phil, Phil, can we get like I don't know, like some crackling fire or something? So go ahead. Photo number one of Mike Baldwin.
1: Uh, Sorry in advance, Mike, you asked for this. Uh, dude's mullet looks like it's trying to get away from his head. Brian Eno saw this picture and decided it was time to cut his hair.
2: That one's not going to land with a ton of people, but the ones that just got that got it real good. Dude looks like he
1: thinks Brian Bosworth is still going to turn it around. <laughs> Dude looks like the medicine man in Dances with Wolves bleached his hair and gotten into <laughs> prog Rock. <laughs> Dude looks like an undercover oh cop trying to bust a hockey team. <laughs>
2: oh my God. Is that it? Is that all you got? That's all I got for that one. <laughs> I, I'm going to give it to the Dances with Wolves. It's not easy to work a Dances with Wolves reference in, man. That was great. Uh, okay, so then we have now we have a second shot of Mike. Now in the first shot, he looks kind of tall and skinny and like, you know, the ensemble could make him, we'll say like the keyboard player in men at work or something like that. Right yeah. now, by contrast in photo two, Mike is squarely the roadie for ministry or docking or something.
1: Yeah, like it, it's quite a transformation. Same ball. Yeah. Which looks yeah. a little bit more like it looks less. I don't know planned this time it's like the mullet <laughs> in its natural state
2: right you know, he just woke right.
1: up you know uh all of a sudden though mike's looking buff dude
2: yeah yeah he's jacked all of a sudden right and now he's he's wearing like like navy dickies pants a vintage puma t-shirt with the sleeves cut off um and he's got a pair of pit viper shades hanging around his neck now this reminds me a bit of um you know that like that, that classic old shot of Schwarzenegger like holding a tiny girl in a bikini yeah, like yeah. cradling mm-hmm. her right because Mike is holding up a chain stringer stretching it out in front of him between both arms and it has to weigh like 50 pounds
1: yeah right. yeah the dude I tried to count and I'm putting like the combined <laughs> number of like perch and bluegill and crappie on that stringer it has to be close to 100 fish
2: it's got easily easily, which based on this haul, now I'm kind of thinking he probably ate the bowfin. I, oh, definitely. Think, I think Mike likes to eat fish. So um, there's the setup there. That's what photo two looks like. Do your thing, man. Uh, give me give me the roast of uh, Mike Baldwin photo number two. Alright. Uh, dude's shirt says Puma, but his hair says Tiger
1: King. These are all more <laughs> mullet jokes. <laughs> Dude looks like Hulk Hogan's stepbrother. brother. <laughs> Dude was wearing vipers before vipers were cool, like everyone else who wears vipers.
2: <laughs> oh, took a shot at the vipers. Dude, the like <laughs> viper
1: wears. you've just been just scorned right there. Dude looks like he strung those fish on the dream catcher he had hanging from his truck's rear view. <laughs> Dude looks like a character they cut from wet-hot American summer because he was too unlikable.
2: Mike, I don't mean any of this, man. I'm just joking. Listen, (laughs) Mike sent this in. Don't apologize. This is what happens on awkward photos. The Dreamcatcher was brilliant. That was the one. That was the one right there. So there you go. We changed it up a little bit. I I, I hope that was a bit more up to snuff at HuntFishSleep247. And Mike, we can't thank you enough for sending these shots. They are fantastic. I love the vintage stuff. Uh, we can have a really good time with it. Such a tremendous ape drape, hockey hair, whatever else the Vandals called it. And hey, if you have a photo you'd like us to consider for a roasting, you know where to send it. Bent at the meat eater.com. Okay. I still feel a little bit bad about it because. You uh, know, you'll get over that as as we move along here. You'll stop uh, feeling man. Mike, Mike's got to be a good too. sport. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah.
2: He sent him, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, I. I that that was pretty fun, um,
1: and I encourage our listeners to start adding their own roast one-liner in the comments on these photos on the good old InstaSlam. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I I could stand to be a little bit inspired, and I would would mind a little bit of inspiration from our listeners.
2: Yeah, dude, those were fun. They were a nice touch. I really I like I like the one-liners, and I 100% um, encourage this too. I also encourage you to dig deep in the archives, like Mike did. Because I love a good vintage shot. Oh. vintage! To me, vintage shots are always more fun. So much better. Uh, Yeah. He had the hair, the puma, even like the cheap nylon rope stringer. All classics, Mike. Very much appreciated. And speaking of classics, uh, I believe you're closing us out today with one, yeah? Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, So we've spent some time in the chilly north this week. So let's hit an end of the line that not only maintains Mike's vintage vibes, but uh, we'll say brings back a little little summer vibe as we head into the cold season. Uh, fishy, 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 fishy! Well, that's not loud enough, Bert. I have already sung my praises for the Arbor Gas Jitterbug here on End of the Line. And when I did, I noted that while the Jitterbug is in many ways forgotten, that walking, waddling wake bait still has a huge cult following but there's another member of the ArborGAS lineup that I can't quite say the same thing about. While the company has never stopped producing the Hula Popper, I hear even fewer people talking about that classic than the Jitterbug, which is a shame, so I'm going to talk about it. In case you're unfamiliar with the Hula Popper, it looks much more like a frog than a baitfish. It has sort of an hourglass shape with a fat wide middle and a smaller head with a large gaping mouth. However, Unlike later poppers with deeply scooped mouths, the inside of a hula's mouth is shallow and flat, which throws water faster and farther and gives the lure a slightly higher pitch than other poppers. Large models have two trebles dangling from the belly. Smaller models sport one treble, but what really makes a hula popper a hula popper is the signature thin rubber hula skirt hanging off the back. Arbogast introduced the hula popper in 1941, and it was that rubber hula skirt that made it so unique. The company patented the hula skirt in 1938, but not for use on the hula popper. The hula skirt was invented for Arbogast's Hawaiian Wiggler, their first public offering that never really took hold and has been long discontinued. But... Owner Fred Arbogast was the first person to figure out that a rubber skirt could hide a hook while also making a bait a bit more weedless. And as we all know, while the Hawaiian wiggler didn't last, rubber skirts have kind of stood the test of time. But the hula skirt on a hula popper isn't hiding any hooks. It's there purely to add action, and honestly... The hula popper is probably one of the least weedless topwaters ever, which I always found kind of funny because the most iconic hula pattern is frog, which you'd probably want to throw in some pretty sloppy stuff. I've never used any frog pattern hulas, nor do I have much interest in the full-size double treble hula. My ringer has always been the small one and a quarter inch hula in all black. Between the size, shape, and color and that tail fluttering away, this particular hula model kicks ass because it looks more like a bug than a bait fish or frog, yet it's just heavy enough that it can be delivered very effectively on a light spinning outfit. The tiny black hula is the conventional angler's equivalent of the boogle bug or Mr. Wiggly, which smallmouth fly anglers lean on hard. I first discovered its power as a teenager while wading a local smallie stream. And as I recall it, the fishing kind of sucked that day. But it was one of those hot summer afternoons with dragonflies just kind of zipping all over the place. I don't even remember how that tiny black hula ended up in my tackle kit. But just as they often do with popper flies, a smallie sipped that thing off the surface before I ever had a chance to twitch it. I quickly figured out that subtlety was the key. Don't overpop a tiny hula. Just let it ride and give it the occasional nudge. I've done this with tiny hulas and other colors too, but none of them produce like that jet black, as I'm sure some of you already know. While that classic arbagast hula skirt looks great in the water, it has a tendency to get really dry and crispy if it sits too long in a tackle box without getting splashed. Now I once read that a tiny smear. A Vaseline on that skirt, between uses will prevent this. But like, who, who has time for that? I don't. I just use that OG skirt that comes with it until it's dry and brittle and then just lash a bunch of silly legs on the back of the tying vise and call it good. I mean, it works just as well. Now, if any of you kids are just too cool to fish an old-timey hula popper, Arbogast recently tried to appeal to you directly with the Hula Popper 2.0. It comes in mod funky colors like Black Death, Blue Kill, Coach Hog, and White Zombie. Instead of a rubber hula skirt, there are flashy feathers on that tail. And I wanted to like them. I really did. But I still like my plain black classic mini hula better, which, by the way, is light enough to cast on a 7 or 8 weight fly rod if you're feeling extra dirty.
1: Ah, hula poppers are uh, classic, but often like kind of kind of viewed as a little bit of an oddball. I remember like I was going to uh I was going to summer camp when I was a kid, and I was packing up a little tackle box and shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had uh of course you know you always pre-string your rod with like that first lure that you're gonna throw when you're a kid. You know you never you never get there and wait to see how it is. You still do yeah. that now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I uh I picked a hula popper, and my dad looks at me, goes. What are you trying to start off with the weirdest thing you could think of?
2: Ah, uh, yeah, but come on, that's that's wrong though. Hula poppers I know. kick ass. I kick I ass. remember
1: I remember that's to be honest with you, that's when I first started. Uh maybe not thinking that everything my dad said about fishing was absolute I was
2: going to say your dad is the problem here, not the hula popper. Your dad is the one preaching. He's stopping the children of today from throwing the hula poppers with that attitude. <laughs> I highly recommend the Hula Popper. That's why I did a whole end of the line on it. Anyway, so look, that's it for this week. I got to say, Canada, it was good figuratively hanging with you again. And if you're planning to literally hang out in Canada, remember, uh, a negative rapid antigen COVID test is not acceptable at the border. You either have to get the Q-tip jammed up your snooter, or you can keep ice fishing on the same pressured park pond in your neighborhood down here in the States. I jammed two swabs up my nose and touched my brain
1: to get up to Canada <laughs> to ice fish this winter. Uh, don't forget, check out episode one of the Canadian Angle on Meat Eater's YouTube channel. And while you're playing around on your phone, send a bar nomination, sale bin item, voice memo, awkward photo, or anything else you think we might be able to use on the show to bent at the meat eater dot com.
2: Also, keep it up with those uh, Bent podcasts and the Generate Angler hashtags there, but We love seeing them there, but So uh, maybe you (laughs) snag a carp with your hula pop or take a little photo for us there, bud. So you just uh, have a great old day there. Oh, yeah. Thank you, bud.